Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect leaders in the gaming industry to discuss passions and challenges. I'm Sol, and I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by a fantastic panel to discuss the art of creative leadership. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, guys, so before we dive in, we're going to work our way around the rooms with a few introductions. Um, So if you could just let the listeners know who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. Let's go ladies first. Stephanie, could you jump in for me? Yeah, sure. Uh, Hi, I'm Stephanie Schmiedel. I'm uh, currently the our director at Colibri Games. Uh, we concentrate mostly on mobile games, idle games. Um, I have been working in the creative industry for 21 years now, mostly in movies and games, but also picture books and other things. Um, and uh, one of my greatest passions is actually kendo, Japanese sword fighting. Very interesting. Andre, could you uh, somehow follow that up? Really interesting. Uh, I doubt it, but I'll try it. <laughs> So, hi, my name is Andre Yagar. I've been in this industry for around 13 years. Currently, I'm a lead animator at Jaeger, working on Cycle Frontier. Uh, my passion is not Kendall, but uh, I think my passion for game industry was cemented when I played Shadow Colossus. And I, I don't know, just after the first boss, I'm like, you know what? I think this is my industry, so that that's very started and no idea where it's going. <laughs> Great game, by the way. Uh, and Johannes, could you round us off with the introduction from yourself, please? Sure. Hello, hello everyone. My name is Johannes Weidmann. I'm the creative director at Olympic Entertainment. Uh, at the moment, uh, being responsible for the creative direction on Park Beyond, just the current theme park game we have been we are, have been working on for quite some years now. Um, very close to release, so I'm very excited. Um, yeah, I've been in the industry for more than 10 years now, and uh, mostly design and creative direction roles, uh, different companies. And um, one passion of mine is because I grew up close to the Alps, is uh, definitely going on ski touring. So it's basically when people go, uh, usually go down the skis, the mountain, and I usually hike up the skis, which is a bit of an unusual thing, but it brings you to very remote places, so it's very nice. Johannes, the Iceman there. Okay, let's jump into our first topic. So, Stephanie, we're going to run back to you. So, you suggested the subtopic of how do we keep the morale up in our teams when projects get cancelled or go through a drastic change during production? So, if you could give us a bit of an idea on why you chose that subtopic and, and maybe why you're passionate about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Um... So yeah, I mean, coming like or having worked in the creative industry for a long time, uh, no matter if it's games or movies, um, the productions do change, and sometimes projects get cancelled, or well, sometimes also you know you scrap things, you realize okay you're not going in the right direction, then you change direction, and especially as an artist, um, 
you often pour your heart into your work and uh, sometimes it can get really tough to, you know, see how your work is being scrapped. And I mean, the more you, or the longer you work in this industry, the more you get used to it. But of course, if you have younger teams and younger artists, then it's really hard for them. And like, sometimes it's a bit tricky to keep them motivated, uh, to, you know, keep pushing forward and working on it. And so, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, get your opinion on how you do it. <laughs> Let's throw that out to the room. Anyone want to pick that up? Uh, yeah, I must say, uh, I, I came to get the answer to that topic as well, because I would appreciate some wisdom on it. Uh, I'm not a stranger to failed, cancelled, or altered projects. I especially specialize in that field. So uh, for me, the main thing we can do for our team is be honest as possible and kind of explain the change or cancellation if we can. Uh, I found out that most of the burnout in my teams happened because they didn't understand why some things are being changed, pushed or cancelled. And it it's easy to fall into that trap when you're focusing only on modeling, animation. Of course, you want the model to look the best, but hey, maybe the project doesn't have that budget or performance issues or things like that. So as in everything, open communication can resolve most of the problems, not all, but I remember when I was in the lead, that's what I appreciated in my leads. Hey, just tell me straight. Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe it's just on the focus currently. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, I, I sometimes even have the feeling that mostly the team already knows that something is up. So it's seldomly coming completely out of the blue for the team. So I think... Um, Again, stole the full transparency, and especially like what what I tried to, what other leaders actually did. I, I know I was like trying to take the team also on the journey of like how did we end up here, so that it becomes actually clear why this is now the next logical step. Because of course they don't have all the information; they, they were not part of maybe not the whole process. So taking them on this mental journey of like, hey, we started then, these were our ambitions then, this was our goals then, okay, we fell flat on this one and maybe on this one too and so on, so that they can relate to, and I think the most important thing also like for the next, whatever you do next afterwards, so that the team understands, hey, this was not, like, if, I think the, the most important thing is that the team understands that it won't have, they won't be blindsided again the next time because I think this is the biggest risk, the biggest fear everyone has, uh, putting the uh, putting their the heart into this topic and then suddenly there will be another big cancellation or something. I feel like building this this trust for the next thing, and then on the second, I think on the second point, it's really important to also show what's. What are the other opportunities coming out of this cancellation? Because usually you don't cancel something to just not do another thing. Um, but it's basically what, what what is the brilliant thing about the next step we are now? What what does it actually offer for us? What are the opportunities which are arising because uh, we now got this uh, huge backlog of our shoulders and we can start something new? Um, I think this is, might also be helpful in the space. Yeah. How would you approach uh, that if there's no future? Let, let's be grim a little bit. How would you uh, approach 
telling that to the team. I, yeah, this is this is definitely this is definitely groomed. But like I, I, I think like usually like do you mean like if there's no future for the whole team, so the whole team gets like fired from the studio? Yeah, or maybe identically awkward situation half of the studio. Uh, how how would you uh, approach that? That situation. I think this is a this is a very tough one. I mean, like to be also yeah. as brutal as you. Like, if the whole team gets fired, you don't need to worry so much about what it does to their motivation. Yeah. But uh, like, <laughs> this is not how we want to play it, obviously. But um, I mean, I think that, again, also like if it's this grim, I think it's also uh, important to be transparent. Um, I think it's also important in these type of cases to be. To tell the team early enough, because like, or to give them enough time to uh, to digest. Um, I'd also find a new opportunity, of course, uh, to help them in this. I felt like, I mean, the, the game dev industry, I think, especially in Germany, but even across the world, is relatively small. So you meet people again, and I think it's also very important how you treat people when you need to uh, uh, have. You need to fire people or you need to let people go because uh, the, there's no project for them anymore because you will definitely meet again. And it's important, like, what can really counts in the space to, to support the people um, finding a new job? And usually you have quite a good network and uh, will help and help them. But yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, one thing that we don't mention enough here is actually leadership and how it affects them because you always think, hey, how. How does the lead go to their team and tell them? But it's also a big pressure to keep that, especially if you know a couple of days in before or there's a looming threat here, but you, you have to act like, hey, productivity and morale, and you see the X above your head, it's just waiting to drop. But yeah, that that's something we don't speak about enough. Yeah, that's definitely also a very hard topic. But I mean, uh, also from my experience, um, I think... Of course, like if you have to have like a, a bigger layoff or anything, that's really difficult. Um, but like projects get canceled all the time, uh, especially in our industry. And um, I really like what Johannes said, like, you know, about like, you know, thinking about what what he did and like, you know, having a bit of a like retrospective view there. And maybe also you can take some some learnings from that and like, you know, hey, how we like, what did we learn? What, how did we improve on that? And how can we, you know, take that forward? And like, you know, also like see how the people did grow in that project as well. Like, you know, and pointing that out. I think that can also help. Any extra points to add on that one, guys? No? Okay, no problem. We'll move on to the next topic. So Johannes, you've uh, proposed the subtopic of promoting ownership through goal setting instead of tasks. So if you could give us an idea on why you chose that one, please. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's, for, it's at least it's already one of the solutions to the to the problem. But um, I would like to hear more of your, of your solutions. And just to, to explain a bit about uh, where this is coming from this. So I feel like for me, like leadership is a very different, difficult thing in any case already. But like, if you're leading a team of creatives, I think this has an additional uh, challenge on top of it because like to make something unique make something innovative i think you need to have a lot of creative people in the team and you need to make enough room for them to like develop their and then and unfold their creativity on the one hand side but on the other hand side you also have to make sure that all like if you have a 40 people team or 60 people team or even bigger you need to make sure that at least 
everyone individually while like expressing their creativity is still like ruddering in the same direction and moving the project forward in, in the same way towards the same goal. And I find this to be like one of the challenges on the one hand side, providing a clear goal of where we do we want to be, but on the other hand side, not being too explicit about how do we get there and how does the game experience, for example, like look exactly, um, because there's also like, like the, the more explicit you are in, the, in this case, the more you're taking away the possibilities for creative ideas to emerge, which you have not thought about. So like this challenge um, of yeah, defining a goal, uh, but not paving the road, basically, like, uh, I don't know, I would be very interested in hearing your ideas on this uh, method, how to, to solve or address this. Um, yeah, I mean, from my side, I would say it's also, you know, encouraging them to, you know, see the why, why you're doing things and like, you know, for whom you're doing it, like, you know, and um, like seeing the bigger picture and helping them also set the goals themselves um so maybe okay yes of course like you have like you know production to run and like seeing certain things that need to be you know hit but also you can split it up into like smaller goals that they can maybe set themselves um and maybe um see how their role fits into that as well like you know how um yeah, how it might also help them develop themselves better and like, you know, for their personal development and career development and, you know, how they can all put that together <laughs> to with a project and like how they can have an impact there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, especially the, the, the why and the bigger picture, I think, can help a lot um, bringing everyone together and um, having their a clear picture. For me, it's also important how you approach uh, generating those tasks and task for sure, however you want, like how you give ownership, but also how that ownership is focused. For example, if we have a new feature that we want to push for the game, for example, an animator, of course, has an idea, hey, I want this feature, it's really awesome. That person has to kind of defend that task or proposal in front of other disciplines. Just so we know we're not putting somebody in danger of not delivering. If modeling team wants to, I don't know, create a creature that's extremely ambitious, they can do it. But can game design follow up with it? Can animation follow up with Can we rig that creature? So for me, a big kickoff where you defend the ideas or propose, propose them is very important. And then you can have ownership and you're not endangering anybody in the team, but uh, giving that ownership to the team or smaller teams is something that I've found very inspiring in the team and it actually helped us go through a lot of, I wouldn't call them stale periods, but it it refreshes the team and just gives you more. Hey, go crazy with this within these limits. So that, that's that been our approach. Yeah, but I think I think like set, setting limits on the one hand side and providing a clear vision and goal on the other hand side, I think this, yeah, this is definitely, uh, I think, yeah, the, the, the way to go. I feel like in, in practice for me, it's still like sometimes a very challenging thing because like limits can be too small or can be too wide and goals can be not clear or can be like, too explicit on the one uh, other hand side. So maybe just from an, maybe you guys have actually an 
an example, like I can imagine, like, so I'm usually doing like, I'm creating vision documents, which are more on like on the experience side of things or on the design side of things. But if you, I think you guys are like in creative art Bibles, for example, which is also like on the one hand side, giving the goal, but on the other hand side, not like defining, like painting every picture already and defining like this will be the color, color palette for all the images. But like, how do you guys, like, do you have an example how you uh, create own kind of guidelines on the uh, why not um, making doing all the work for everyone, uh, every artist already? Uh, yeah, I have an example when we just started uh, in games. We came from a big feature movie, 3D feature movie. And I remember learning the hardest lesson that I'm still keeping in my mind is game design is king. Unfortunately, I, I wish it to be animation, but unfortunately I failed to promote that. <laughs> uh, so we wanted to have better anticipation before jumps, like any animator you wanted to look great. So we kind of sat down, we, we spent like five days making preview videos, how, it, how amazing it looks, or how it's the best thing ever, because then character crouches for 15 frames, it looks epic, then it bells in the air and lands and it's amazing and the game designer came in and just like yeah wanna see how it looks in the game and then we cried and here we are so yeah that that's something i'm keeping in my mind and it's naive enough so i can publicly mention um yeah i would also like say um it's a i think it's also very important to actually go ahead and do set you know a clear set of roles and like um roles and especially like when it comes to like you know art direction and like you know leading a team of artists and you know making them all pull together on the same strings um you do need a clear uh style guide or like you know clear vision and how like how you communicate that vision is like up to you of course um uh but having those clear set of rules basically helps them to be creative within those rules a lot more than if there's just like a complete white canvas right um so i think you know just communicating okay there we have like you know design rules and you know these need to be adhered to but you have creative freedom within these rules i think that helps a lot and um that you know also then of course you know helps that everyone pulls together because everyone is aware of these rules and then they can also help each other with feedback you know they can work together and say how oh, maybe that works better with like you know in this way and you know it, it creates better teams i think uh, if there's a clear direction as well and better work <laughs> in the end a question on the back of that stephanie so obviously you know you guys are leaders within the industry and you know humans are the most complex tool that there is in your businesses right um when you're setting these style guides and these these rules are put out there to sort of abide by and i hope the answer is not just get rid of them but what happens if you have an artist that maybe has their own ideas on, on maybe how their work should be done and perhaps maybe rejects or disagrees maybe aspects or the, the you know the theory behind your vision how would you manage that situation well, i mean there's always reasons behind any of these choices like usually we design like you know the style for a game for example um for the audience right we we know what kind of audience we want to you know make the product for and um so for example 
if you want to make something for like a smaller audience, like a younger audience, you go with very cute proportions or something. If you want to go for something more, you know, very adult-driven or mature, then you go for more edgy things and stuff like that. So you always know kind of why you're designing something in a way. So it's easy to explain to, of course, like, you know, your artist as well, you know, the reason behind these kind of things. And then it's, I think, if they understand that and if they understand the product and the audience, I think it's a lot easier, you know, to defend these choices um, and to say, okay, you know, I like, I know you have different preferences maybe, but um, this is, you know, you're not, we're not designing it for you, we're designing it for the audience, for the players, for, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's like, yeah, explaining the why and the reasons I think is helpful. Uh, Andre, you got some bits about that? Uh, yeah, just a little thing that uh, I, I think it's also a lead's position. I do agree. You have to keep the vision pretty coherent and almost like it's made by one person. But what I've always preferred uh, to try to do, not always succeed, is keep in mind what that person wants and strives for. Hey, you want big explosions in match three game? I'll find one moment for you. Just one moment and there you can shine. And this is something that I think is the best moments of being a lead. Finding that one little moment where somebody can go just be themselves. That's also very nice. That does give me uh, another idea for a question, actually. If you're giving that right to a member of your team, you're giving them that free, uh, creative freedom. Are you then bound to giving the same right to everyone else on your team? Otherwise, you're at risk of being called unfair. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, it, it, all of them like love explosions and mastering games. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a problem. But uh, I usually spend a lot of time in one-on-ones to get to know people, and they're different. Luckily, they're different and want different stuff. So I think if you work on a project for a year, there will be moments when you can hype them up and just do this, and everybody will be really great. Of course, I'm saying that because it's easy and nobody can check if I am really doing it, but. Uh, it's always the best approach to try to be just give equal opportunities. Yeah, Johannes, Stephanie, have you had any experience of maybe giving someone a little bit more of a platform to express themselves? And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge because, like, of course, like if like um, when we are starting a game and when you're working on a game, we have a huge amount of sets of features, and not all of the features can be the coolest USP features in the in the game and this is usually of course like you like from a development perspective and from a lead perspective you want to give those features to those people where you feel they personally shine the most um, and they you're playing to their strengths I mean this is what you always want to do of course they can be then still features which are more sexy and features which are less sexy uh, to do or to present, but like I think, like of course, like you also want to uh, to your team dynamic to your team members everyone to be happy, and this is a very slip, a uh, very hard thing to do. It's, I think there's no like uh, template for it. Um, but in the end, I think it's also important to remember and also to remember your team members about that. In the end, it should be the best idea which wins and it should be the best thing for the game and not necessarily only the best thing for everyone individually um, which again is sometimes a tough sell <laughs> I, I get it uh, but I think like if you have a team which actually lives the spirit 
that is like we want together we want to do the best uh, game possible and if you're also leading by example of like picking up stuff which is not sexy um picking up stuff which is maybe the annoying thing to do but you are helping the whole team with it i think if you're setting this example and if you're um yeah promoting this type of vibe in your team i think it's less about like everyone needs to have a equal platform or equal amount of moments to shine um if it's like hey together we make the game shine as a as a unit awesome anything else to add to that guys uh no i i must say i completely agree with johannes on that that's one what an easy discussion <laughs> let's move on to our, our third topic so this one has been supplied by yourself andre um nice and simple the fine line of work-life balance so gives an idea on why you chose that one. Oh yeah very simple <laughs> so <laughs> Recently, in recent couple of years, something happened to the world and it changed a bit. And I don't think everybody is really used to that. And I know it hit me pretty hard in my work-life balance because there's none. It, it's hard to really shut off because you work in the same room, then you play in the same room. Some people sleep in the same room, so it's, it's a bit hard. And I've been trying to find good ways to kind of connect to the team and even outside of work to just have team events. But when you mention online team event, there's 50% of people are just like that. No. <laughs> but again, if you mention to meet, even in the office, people are like, you know what, I'm going to pass. So it's been increasingly weird and hard to kind of keep that balance and have those events as well. So I would like to hear your experience, your solutions, problems, or whatever you have for me. I can I can go first. Um, yeah, I think I have, yeah I think it's new for everyone, everyone definitely. And um, I'm also like personally also um, being a like torn between like the benefits of working from home, like on a personal level, but also on a, on a team level and also on a camp company level and then the downsides of working home and also pros and cons of working in the office. Um, so I, I think there is no real right or wrong answer. I, I can maybe share a bit of what we do at Limbic uh, Entertainment, what, what we are thinking might be an interesting way forward. So at the moment, what we are promoting is a uh, we're working one week a month in the office with everyone at the, uh, being in the office at the same time. And then we work three weeks uh, from home in the month. Like, and of course, people who want to be more often in the office can be as often in the office as, as they want. And so we started this a couple of uh, weeks or months ago. Um, and overall, I find it to be an interesting model. I don't know if this is the model for the for the long run for the future, but it's definitely interesting because, like, it has this benefit of having everyone focused in one week, being on site, and we also do the tasks we do on site. We differentiate them from the tasks we do off site. So offside is really like then focused on getting your personal work done. And of course, communication is an important part in, in game dev. But um, and every time we are on site, we really use this to review our processes together. And in meetings, we do it to to feedback our work. We review what we have been achieved, what have achieved so far. We do planning in small groups and in bigger groups of what we want to achieve in the next four weeks. So. Yeah, we differentiate the 
task, but when we try to fit the tasks to the work environment. So, I mean, because I can also remember back in the day, it was sometimes actually really hard to work in an office. Everyone was like working or having calls and then trying to focus on my particular work was actually very hard. So this is the benefit of working from home. So this is something we're trying to do more often at home. And But the downside is you don't have the spontaneous meetings. You don't have these uh, cool ideas when you're working together on a whiteboard. Uh, this is stuff which you don't have at home. So we try to facilitate this happen more often when, when we are on site. Let's see. Again, I think it's experiments for everyone, but this is at least the, the shot we, we take. Yeah, so, sounds... Sorry, go on. Sorry. Uh, it's a very interesting concept that you actually like separating the task um, with off-site and on-site. Um, I mean, we are trying to encourage people coming more and more to the office as well. Um, um, we are not forcing anyone, so uh, we, we try to, you know, encourage them for like having team day or something. Um, we have Pizza Friday, <laughs> which is very popular. Um, so, and we, we, you know, especially on Fridays, we we play ping pong together. Or, yeah, just chat and socialize. Um, we also do like, you know, the odd thing in the evening, like, you know, um, uh, for example, next week we have a paint sneaker, uh, paint sneakers day, um, <laughs> where we all like come together in the evening and paint sneakers. Um, so we have a great office management team here that organize all these things. Um, and that I must say does help getting people back to the office without actually forcing them, uh, to come. Um, it was be happy and also like thinking of maybe introducing a four to one, um, concept or something, but, um, we are still not, not there yet. We don't want to do that. Like we, we don't want to force anyone to come to the office who doesn't want to, um, but uh, I, I also like understand the, the fine line of like, you know, work-life balance if you're working constantly from home and like, you know, you're working in, you know, in the same room that you're you know, in your bedroom or living room and you can't actually draw the line anymore and you're constantly online and on work. And, <laughs> um, and for me, I must say it also helps to uh schedule in some some of my free time into my calendar actually like you know for example I, if i want to go to kendo like i have always my days where I, you know go to kendo and uh, i actually put that in my calendar and i know it's there and i i know okay i'm going I'm, i have to do it so actually forcing myself to <laughs> to do it that way and uh, of course everyone else knows i'm not available in that kind of time as well um so I think that that does help as well, like keeping things a bit more separated. Uh, but scheduling things like that in your calendar for your personal life, does it? Because uh, I've tried it and failed miserably because it felt like work. Oh, I have to do this thing. I know it's for me, but I have to do it. And it felt like work. And then my heart just started pounding and it, it didn't work out. How do you approach that? Could I hear your thoughts? Uh, well, I, for me, it actually does work quite well. Um, but also, like, I, I noticed, like, for example, when I became a lead and, like, then later on art director, like, uh, my meeting schedule always blew up <laughs> and I had more meetings than I, you know, uh, should handle. And so I started also, like, you know, scheduling in some, uh, some time where I could just like, concentrate on work on things. Um, so I, yeah, I, I tend to, do that and works quite well for me so scheduling in some of my like free time like you know if i meet friends or like uh going to kendo that that works for me quite well actually <laughs> but maybe you just have to find your way like work for you yeah, i must say andre it's something that i have uh 
inherited as a habit over over the, probably the last 12 months when i when i first joined evolution um i was quite open and said my time management doesn't really exist um and then after many weeks and many months of uh, blank calendars and chaos uh, they eventually convinced me to uh, try and form it as a habit and I stuck with it for a while and then yeah I found myself wanting to put my personal things in my calendar because what I found is it makes it a tangible plan then it's not just an idea in your head um, it makes you so much more likely to do it as well because at least then you can kind of see it written down and it's like oh I've got the gym at three o'clock but then I've got like six hours after that and then maybe I've got that event on in my calendar later on so if it <laughs> if you're struggling to kind of commit to things um it's it's something that that does help but it is a habit and it takes a while and if you're if you like the organized chaos like me it, you may never you may never get that well everybody here seems so smart so i'll think i'll listen to your advice i'll i'll, I'll schedule an hour to think about it after this podcast so Good thank you uh, a, a question I have, we, we touched on a couple of things there, uh, especially since we're talking about work-life balance. So obviously there's a, there's a lot of juniors out there and there's a lot of people like us that have a passion for gaming and, and, and dream of getting into it. So um, do you ever have an issue, and you've been in these positions of course, but you may be hiring people that are in this position, juniors. Um, do you have any issues with the juniors coming in and thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so cool. I've made it. I'm here. And maybe they have this like obsessive personality or mentality straight away where they maybe are looking to do as much time as they can. They're trying to prove themselves yeah. as well. Does that ever cause any of you any any issues within your teams? Uh, yes, it actually disrupts the whole team dynamic that I'm trying to build in my teams. Because if you're putting in 12 hours and you're putting eight, that, that that's not healthy for anybody. First of all, then you're going to receive feedback a bit more it's gonna feel more personal because you spend so much time. We have that, and uh, I, I think it's a common occurrence that should be cut straight away. It, it helps if you're honest why you're doing it. Uh, people did it to me. I did that. I, I was the one who did that many times until I was sat down and you're devaluing our time by putting more hours. You're showing that we can deliver something in unrealistic and unhealthy hours. So I, I think. When I understood, hey, it's affecting other people, then it helped me. Same as a lead. I, I had a situation where people told me, you can't work Saturdays as a lead. You're setting an example. And I never thought about it that way. I thought I'm being extra cool and just passionate. But if your passion spreads to other people and they see it's like notification on Monday that you work Saturday, Sunday, it's it's not something I encourage in my team. Yeah. I think we actually like in game dev you have this quite a lot of times where people like become so passionate about about their work, which I think is the cool thing to be. Like I think everyone is like working on games because we we love working on games, but it's also really important. Like because like for games are developed over, over a very long time, so it's like it's really a marathon than uh, more than a sprint. And like some people can sprint longer than others, but uh, in the end. You won't sprint for three, four years for a project, and it's it's really important that everyone stays like on a solid kind of work output instead of a, like a very fluctuating and unpredictable work output. Because like I mean, it's also it also adds like this layer of unpredictability to it because um, you can't plan with like if someone gets this amount of whatever concepts out or designs done or this type of in this amount of time, like in a week, but they're working on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, 
then like you can do this two times or three times or four times maybe, but at some point they will won't be able to work on Saturdays and Sundays anymore. And then suddenly their work output drops like to this unexpected level. So it's really unpredictable. So I think this is another reason you can use to explain to your team member that it's on the one hand side not, not healthy for you personally, but also not predictable for the for the project plan. Um what I think what helped um for us is which is a bit of a very German and a bit of an odd thing to do, but we we really do time tracking time tracking very rigorously. That you clock in and you clock out, uh, and more actually to protect the team members than the other way around. But because it's like it's very transparent to you personally, if you work suddenly twelve hours a day, you don't really realize it maybe because you're so passionate, you're so into it. But if you see this number, it's a bit. It becomes a bit scary if you do this like multiple days in a row. Um, and then I think this also helps everyone to say, okay, maybe I should slow down again, go back to my my normal working hours. Um, it's also responsibilities of our directors to check regularly that people are not doing too much of their time. And we also have what uh, one thing actually we be changed to adapt. But we feel also that that in, cre- in the creative industry, people also have a bit of a different rhythms of when they like to work and when they are very efficient in working and so sometimes it's understandable that if your best working hours i'm over exaggerating here but basically between 10 and 12 in the, in the evening then you don't want to stop at 10 right so I, I i get that um so what we also what we also introduce is uh, what we call the flex friday which is basically on, on friday you don't have to work at all if you already have worked your 40 hours for for the week and this is a day you can spend to get rid of your overtime so um we don't schedule any regular meetings in this time um so you can just announce the day before hey i'm coming in late i will start at 3 p.m or i will not work today at all so because it's not only like reminding people that they should not do overtime but it's also you need to also give them the possibility to get rid of the overtime um in the end but i think this is a for us this works quite nicely because people like to have a free day um and if they, they are very busy and they don't really uh, look at the time on the days before then they can get rid of the overtime and overall i think it, it leads to a more healthy work environment well friday sound like the, the day to work on right stephanie's eating pizza johannes isn't working at all andre what do you do on a friday uh, i i don't think we have anything special except games after work that that's my excuse to beat people at street fighter so try to organize them and motivate people to come into the office there's beer the street fighter so that's our friday are, are you the office champion uh yes nice <laughs> Okay, um, how about we move on to our fourth and final topic. So uh, allow me to propose this one. Uh, so as every creative team and project is different, of course, from studio to studio and across the industry, uh, how do you find your own unique style as a leader to support your team best? So I think this is a really interesting topic if uh, you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting into leadership one day, maybe you're on that ladder. Um, and maybe uh, the panel here has some examples of when they were climbing that ladder as well, and they were trying to find their own identity as a leader. Uh, let's have a little discussion about leadership styles and and finding your uh, your own unique identity as a leader. Anyone want to kick us off, Andre? Uh, yeah. So 
I became a lead by accident because nobody else wanted it in the team. So I kind of had to learn in a very uh, challenging environment. But I, I don't think you can just find the style. I, I, I tend to communicate with people, first of all, to check what situation we are in, what we can allow and what we can't allow. If you're a lead and not supported by anybody, if I can somebody, if I can send somebody home because they seem sick, then I'm not a lead. But there were situations and there were studios who are like, hey, no, they need to go to this person. So it all depends on the situation. But what I tend to do is just talk to people, make mistakes. Of course, you prepare them to, that you will make mistakes. I, I always announce that when I come to the studio first, hey, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Feel free to communicate and I'll adjust, not all of them, but I'll try to fit what I can. Because if I was the same leader in one company, making to another company, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So communicate with people. I, I had to learn a lot because I made a bunch of mistakes. I thought that being passionate and over time is the way to show leadership, but that's totally wrong because that's what I read in one book that I read about leadership. So so it sounds like in your experience, Andre, you've, you've learned a lot from your team and getting feedback from them. Uh, th th that's the only way to... Yeah, I did read another book, but it didn't help that much. So team, just talk to your team. I, I think they'll tell you everything because they know what they need and they can... People are quite capable of communicating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say also like, you know, asking your team for feedback on like, you know, how uh, how it is best to handle it actually. Um, but also like, you know, you, of course you will always have to adjust depending on the team. If you have like a very junior team, it's very different than when you have a very senior team. Um, and uh, but also it depends very much on on you and your personality a lot and what uh, what your strengths and values are um so for example something that is very important for me has always been uh, like growth and development and helping my team to to grow and develop um it's kind of started because <laughs> when i first became a supervisor i had a team of like 30 people uh that have never done animation before and i had to train them in animation and uh, that, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of shaped me as a leader as well. And um, and I think it still shows very much in my leadership. And uh, I think that's also something that my team appreciates about me, um, that I do take the time to get to know all of them and what they want to do, how they want to grow and which direction they want to go. And I try to support them as much as I can in that uh, by giving them the opportunity to learn, by giving them resources, by, you know, also checking in regularly if, you know, sometimes, you know, the direction they want to grow also changes. And um, I also look for opportunities how they can grow inside a project and how they can grow inside the team and like, you know, how they can apply these skills that they want to learn inside, you know, their jobs. So that's something very particular to to me, to my um, to my personality, to my value. But I think that you know goes very much into my leadership, you know, uh, style. <laughs> was that your first team, the the team of thirty? Yes, that was my very first team. <laughs> so how did you feel when you accepted that that role, and how did you feel when you first went into that position? Uh, it was uh, <laughs> um, it was given to me as a suicide mission. <laughs> And it um, 
uh, everyone thought it would not be possible, but uh, in the end it was. Um, but I learned a lot. Um, but uh, especially because I was used to be very much a perfectionist uh, that wanted everything to be, you know, perfect. And I would do put like always put in the extra mile, put in the extra hour to, you know, get everything done. And like, you know, and back back then we well we started a team of 30 um and we started to produce at the same time and we we i had like two months to get the team running and to start production uh so in the beginning i did most of it myself <laughs> until i got them to some degree there where they could take over and then i noticed that i just needed to let go uh, i needed to you know um trust them that they can do it and let them fail <laughs> and um then yeah everything started running smoother um and yeah once once i let go and you know trust them and allow the room for failure uh, everything would work a lot better did that speed up your learning as well as a leader by oh yeah letting go yeah yeah definitely definitely um th- yeah not only that but also like if if you're always you know uh training people and like giving them room to go you're of course like learning from that as well like you know it it, it develops you a lot further as well so yes i liked a lot what you said about your yeah, like your personal leadership style because like when i when i started uh, lead, leading people or well or starting being put in a position where I lead people, it doesn't, it's not the same as and Andrea also said, it's not the same just that you have a leadership title doesn't make you a leader. And I read this one quote, which I liked a lot, that's basically uh, the question, like, what does a leader need? One thing and it says like someone to follow him or her. And I think this is very fitting. It's not like just a leadership title doesn't make you a leader and not having a leadership title doesn't make you not a leader. It's people who want to follow you voluntarily because they see a benefit in it. Um, and I, I found this very fitting, but I, and like when I started uh, being put in the leadership position, basically, then I was like looking at all these different leadership styles and books and so on and so forth. And it was like, hey, what is the trying to find out what's the best leadership style? Well, what's the leadership style I should adapt? And I think over the years, I realized that it's not about like finding the theoretically best uh, leadership style, but it's rather finding your style, like finding out what what's your what are your strengths, what are, are do you how do you manage people, how do you want to grow people. So it's not uh, not not finding the leadership style, but rather finding yourself, trying to understand how you how you can bring benefit to your team. Um, so so this is why I think it's it's important. Um, it's about as you said it's like finding out who you are what's your personality don't try to change it don't try to develop into a different type of leadership just because you feel it's the best better one on paper um, I think that doesn't make you a true like true to yourself and it doesn't make you a good leader on the other hand side what I feel well, what you can actually build up over time so you can't change your personal leadership style so much but what you can build is a, is a tool set um, of leadership tools because i totally agree with this i think the initial question which is like every team every game every project you do every individual team member needs a different type of treatment and also this on different types and different types of the project so it's like 
all changing. So I think you can't like you can't adapt your leadership style to everyone, but you can build up a wide tool set where you always have to hopefully the right tools for the right occasion for the right person. Um, so because some people sometimes need a bit of new uh, goal setting, some people need support, some people need a big enough challenge, some people need a bit of time pressure. Uh, because they work better with that, actually. Um, some people need a clear, someone have to help them make a clear decision on something. So, and then I think it's all with lost. What also was said is usually finding out what works best is actually asking your team members. So, like, what do you need? Uh, what is the problem right now? Uh, how can I help you? How can I even motivate you? Some people are very honest that you ask those very direct questions. Uh, so, this. Like if you have enough tools to handle those situations in your toolbox and you, if you're asking the right questions, then I think usually it should be good. And there are one very powerful tool, I know it sounds cliche, so I'd please put sad music, uh, empathy, just actual empathy, because you, 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 you never know what people need until you talk to them. I, I made sure to make plenty of mistakes to learn that. Like sometimes you, you think somebody, hey, somebody is having a hard time, let's give them easier tasks it turns out that's the worst thing you can do because you devalue them at work the only place that isn't falling apart for example and then you just take that away so empathy just talking to people and consistency i never like when i get two or three different answers to the same question in a month so consistency and empathy thank you editor. uh a question i want to throw out to the room as well this is something that i had a personal experience with uh, i've been in a supervisor position before and when i stepped into that position i found myself wanting to replicate one of the leaders that had inspired me when i was at a more junior level um i'd had a range of different um individuals as a manager before some of which i didn't really like some of which i loved um, so I was influenced by uh, the managers that I enjoyed working under to to almost mold my leadership style at the time to to more similar to how they did it. What are your experiences like with that? Maybe coming up the ladder. Yeah, I think like everyone is like shaped by the leaders who uh, you have been working for already. I think like maybe it's even not only leaders you see in your uh, work life, but also leaders in your personal life, which can be even your parents or can be even someone else. So um, I think it is very interesting to know about the leaders or the personality or persons actually who shaped you because this also may, do you understand this way actually why you like a particular leadership style is also telling you a lot about yourself. Um, so why did this work, this chemistry work and why did this chemistry not work? So I think it's all about like finding out like who you are and then only if you know who you are, you can also be, uh, a good leader to other people. Um, again, maybe also a bit cliche, but I, I think it is actually, I think it's actually true and looking outside of your work life for good leaders, because some people are like, also me, me be growing up or being starting in the industry, like one job I had good leaders, but also I was in the very early phase, I was always longing for one good, a good mentor, basically someone to like tell me everything. And just, I, I just follow this guy and I can learn everything from, and I was, there were years, but I was frustrated that I was not having this great mentor on my side, on, in my work life. And I was like, okay, you know, how should I make progress here? How should I, I, I learn here? 
Um, but then I think that at some point I realized that A, you learn a lot of stuff by, by doing yourself and failing. And on the other hand side, it's not like you don't need to look as, as narrow as only on your in your work life. But it can also be like outside, could be your whatever former football coach or could be your parents or friends or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever. There are a lot of inspiring people out there and it helps a lot for, to learn from them. Uh, I, I was kind of unfortunate not to have a lead until much later. So I became a lead at 21, which nobody should be a lead at that age. So what helped me a lot is I was put in a very awkward situation. I had a team of around 20, 30, but th that was easy. <laughs> the hard part was I was a lead to my wife. So that, that that was very awkward and I got a lot of direct feedback. So after a lot of <laughs> apologizing and growing, I think that helped me kind of head into the right direction. Honey, I hope you're listening to this. But later on when I did find, I didn't find a leader found a mentor that Jonas mentioned uh, and that helped me a lot so I'm like finally somebody I wish I could copy this person just copy whatever they're doing so that helped a lot uh, yeah but I think I think the good and the bad uh, do shape us quite quite heavily I mean um, I also was lucky to have a lot of really good uh, people to look up to a lot of good mentors when I started um, but I also had quite quite a lot of tough ones. Uh, I mean, especially like when I was working in visual effects industry, um, you have some some very tough <laughs> leaders sometimes, and uh, it it you get definitely a rough like a tough skin from that. Um, but I also knew that that's not how I would like to lead my teams. Um, so, and I think that also shapes you know uh, I think both the good and the bad do shape you as a leader. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of good in both ways. Anything to add on, guys? No? Okay. I think this was already the perfect ending statement. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if Mr. Jagar is listening, he, you know, he was choking. He was choking. Well, uh, we'll wrap the episode up there. Uh, thank you very much for listening. It's just like a walk in the park, all of this leadership stuff, isn't it? Uh, so thank you for listening to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast uh, and a big thank you to our panel today, Stephanie, Johannes and Andre for lending their time and providing their insights to today's topic. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to welcoming you again very soon.